It's okay. That did not get recorded. <laughs> okay. We do have the rebels among us. Okay, so the text, we've been in the parable of uh, the two lost sons, a.k.a. the prodigal son. It should be the prodigal sons, as I'll continue to remind us, because it's certainly a much bigger problem than just the one son. And we know the word prodigal has come to mean, you know, what, what does prodigal come to mean in our culture? Right? Someone that just sort of strays away and goes away. And when we talk about the return of the prodigal, but remember when we, we talked about our definition of prodigal. What is prodigal from the original language? What's, what's prodigal mean? He just squanders his fortune, squanders his money, squanders his belongings, squanders all that... Uh, I'm sorry? Yeah, I'm sorry. Luke 15. Thanks, brother. Luke 15, chapter 15, verses such and such. Uh, 15, 11 to 32. And so we spent uh, an important amount of time talking about some of the key themes in this. That um, that what we saw when we see the young man come to his senses is not what many of us has understood it to be. Like he's, he's repentant at that point because he's not repentant. Uh, there's nothing there that really would indicate that he's repentant. And you know what struck me this week is how many things I wonder do we hear in Scripture that we just take at face value because we've heard him so many things. Mm-hmm. We do. And not even sure if we believe them or not. I like to I like to examine my faith of things that I believe that I shouldn't believe. You know what I mean? I really do. I like to have my beliefs challenged. I like to have what I've been taught sort of challenged in certain ways instead of just, you know, such and such said it, even if they're a person of good repute. Uh, that You know, I want to know. I want to know if I ought to be believing this. How does it fit in with the rest of what I believe? How does it fit in with the rest of what I believe? If this prodigal is a story about a man, a young man that repents and comes home first, first repents and then comes home, it doesn't seem to fit in at all with the context of what Jesus is doing. You talk about, uh, again, let's give ourselves the context as we always should. The Pharisees said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus tells two quick little parables, one about the lost sheep, that the shepherd goes out and leaves the 99 and goes out and finds him. And then the law, and when he finds him, rejoices, comes home, and all his friends rejoice with him. And the and the woman who lost the coin, who lights a lamp and searches the whole house, and when she finds the coin, invites all her friends over to celebrate. How does a young man repenting and coming to his back to his father fit in with that at all? It doesn't. The repentance happens only after the father goes and embraces and loves the son. That the that the, the response of repentance, which we see from the son, at that point in the text, is a response to the the total self taking upon himself all the humiliation because the Father really represents Jesus in the story. It doesn't represent God the Father. He represents Jesus in the story. We have, he, he comes and the, the Father goes out and does things that draw all the attention to himself. Because remember, as he leaves, he goes out to meet the Son. The Son's coming back to the community and the community at that point is going to have a ceremony. Right? We talked about that ceremony. It's a ceremony where they take an earthen vessel full of burnt corn and burnt nuts, they break it at his feet, and they call out his name. And at that point, he's disowned from the community, never to come again. Why? Because there was a ceremony that they had in place for any, any Jewish boy that went off and lost his fortune or lost his family money or his own money to a Gentile people. And unless you know that, unless you know that about the culture, the, meaning, the parable loses some of its meaning. And so we talked a lot, we had a good discussion last week about the importance of knowing the culture that something is written in Instead of just bringing our 
21st century texting, Facebook, 50 meg up and down, high speed internet understanding to a text that shouldn't be imposed upon it. And I think so oftentimes Christians violate the, the meaning of the text of Scripture. We just, we have to be diligent. Because if we don't, we're going to miss God. Jesus said, this is eternal life that they know you. So think of all the things we can do in Scripture that deprive ourselves of a right knowledge of God. If we don't be diligent, if we don't do the study, if we don't think carefully, if we don't pray, if we don't ask, how does this fit with the rest of Scripture? If we don't argue it and debate it out. Right? So, knowing all these things, we talked about the young man coming home, we talked about what these things mean, we talked about all the things the father did to take the humiliation and the disgrace upon himself. And again, this being a direct response to this man receives sinners' needs for them. And then we left off uh, last week with the uh, the other lost son in this parable, and that's the older son, because this son is certainly very lost. And, uh, and just very surface, who do, who do you suppose this young son represents most in the parable? The older son, I'm sorry. I'm sorry? Yeah, yeah, Pharisee, I think. You know, I think it represents the Pharisees, but probably the mindset of a lot of Jews. And then on the other hand, what we don't very often see, I suppose we see it when Jesus is mingling with the audiences. You know, we see the Pharisees. And I don't know how many Pharisees per how many Pharisees per Jew there were in those days, right? Was there one Pharisee for every, you know, 500 Jews? Was there, you know, 10 Pharisees? What was the structure, the hierarchical structure in Hebrew um, uh, ecclesiology, I guess, right? How did that work? I'm not sure. But we hear a lot about the Pharisees. And just like we see in the news today things about, you know, the Nashville Statement on Human Sexuality said this, and that was put together by all these the big minds of the faith. And we see things all the time about the leaders of the but what is the average person? What was the average kind of Jew like in that day? We get glimpses when we see Jesus interspersed among them. We see them, I think, fearful. We see them suppressed. We see them oppressed. We see them kept down. We see them in bondage because Jesus said they are like sheep without a shepherd. And he said that the, the Pharisees crisscross land and sea to make one proselyte. And when they do, they make them twofold more the son of hell than themselves. So we do see things about sort of the average Jewish person of the day, Gary. So you have a lost sheep, you have a lost coin, yep. a lost son. Mm-hmm. Does that mean we have unlost sheep, an unlost coin, and an unlost son? Is there some parallel between the unlost ones? That's a question. Uh, I haven't given that much thought. I haven't given that much thought. I don't think so, because I think it's just a, it's just a backdrop. You know, it's a foil against... The, the, the so-called unlost are just sort of a foil against which we can observe and measure what's going on with the one in particular. So even if those other 99 aren't lost, there certainly are those that, that aren't lost. Um, and I think that, you know, again, the context determined it. Uh, was still, even with Jesus, he's still working within an old covenant mosaic law context. And he's bringing it to its end and taking it beyond. But he's still dealing with them very specifically in a theocratic way, a theocratic Israel important for us to remember that too. Really, we're not talking, in a, certain sense we, in a certain sense, we shouldn't call it the New Testament until we get to the book of Acts, in my humble opinion, but, yeah, Wally. Do you think that the, um, uh, the uh, Pharisees uh, of, of the years ago are almost representative of 
religions today because they cling so to the law, mm -hmm. to the rule, and not to faith as much. Again, it's hard to make an exact comparison because no. the Jews in that day thought they were special just by means of the fact that they had received the law. We have to understand this. The Jews, because they received the law of Yahweh, thought of themselves as special just because they received the law, just because they were the keepers. They, 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 they were given the oracles of God. They were given these things. And so they thought of themselves as special just by virtue mm -hmm. of having the law. Therefore, to the extent that they could hold the law, the better they thought of themselves. And they missed it. But the only thing that I'm saying is that when I was a mm -hmm. Catholic, mm -hmm. I believed all my life up until the age of 50, 52, mm -hmm. uh, because of their teaching, their law, their, their doctrines, uh, that I was very special, that I had it made. I was in the member of the one true religion, and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I wasn't going to go to hell. Yeah, okay, so yes, definitely. And, and I think that's the case even in Protestant faiths, where people... Yeah can tend to think just because you're brought up in the church or whatever that you, you're, you're good to go just because your parents are good to go. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of misunderstanding I think that's held by a lot of people. Um, let's get to the older son here. Uh, and we just began to mention last week that the older son who was angry and refusing says your brother has come in. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Now his older son was in the field. We're in verse 25. And as he came and he drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Mm -hmm. But he was angry and refused to go. His father came out and entreated him. Now, what we see here, as I began to mention last week, is this is every bit as publicly humiliating for the father as the first son going off and taking the money with him and wishing that the father were dead by virtue of saying, give me my inheritance now so I can spend it. Then for the father to go out to the son who refused to go in, again, what you might expect is sort of a fine, let him stay outside there or you know, bring him in here before me. And, and again, who knows if you, you know, a rebuke in front of people. But to go out there is once again gives us the mind and the heart of Christ who goes out among the people that sort of would, would totally turn off the Pharisees. Again, this man receives sinners and eats with them. <clears throat> and so Jesus goes in... I mean, and so the Father here goes out of his... what would be expected. Once again, just totally goes against the patriarchal norm of the day and goes out to this son who is being very rebellious and stubborn and self-centered at this point. And so the Father goes out to him to sort of seek reconciliation and to make things right before he comes in and things get ugly. So, you know, what is he so angry about? What is this oldest son so angry about? Well, he stayed and he worked. Mm -hmm. And his brother took part of the inheritance and he blew it. Mm -hmm. He's yep. gone. Yep. It's gone, it's gone. Yes. I think it's a little bit more than that. I think there he's jealous mm -hmm. because his father is looking to someone who he perceives as less than and where he has been so faithful mm. he wants the uh, adulation of mm. the father and the, mm. uh, you know hey look at me look at yeah. me sinful anger and jealousy are intimate lovers aren't they? Yeah. they really are the two of them go together so well sinful anger and, and, and jealousy and I say sinful anger because not all anger is sinful I know we like to say that to cover up for our anger. 99% of our anger is sinful. But for that 1% of the anger that's not... Good morning, Sister Ida. I was reading, and um, always in that time, always 
times, always the older mm-hmm. get more yes. than the younger. That's right. That yeah. means that he feels upset. He receives more, but he's still upset. Yeah, yes, it tells us something more about him, doesn't it? He's got more coming to him, and he's still jealous of what somebody else got. So there is definitely jealousy, and there is anger. I think it's a lot of like with like like righteous entitlement that he thinks because of these Ah, things, he deserves more. Righteous entitlement, and isn't that what the Pharisees? And that's kind of what I was getting at. That's a better way to, to sort of uh, clarify the point that I was making about the Pharisees and. Just by mere fact that they were recipients of the law and that God had sort of chosen them and they thought of themselves as chooseworthy, that they were special. And yeah, they did have a sense of entitlement, a real sense of entitlement. Good point. Yeah, very good point. Good, good. And so he gets angry about it. Why? Because there's nothing that he can do about it. And there's nothing he can do. One of the reasons why we get angry is when at times we can't do something about something. And uh, it's, it's 90% of the time, anger is not a... 90, again, 99% of the time, anger is not an appropriate response for powerlessness. <laughs> um, probably 100% of the time, I don't know. But uh, So that, that tells us... Uh, we're seeing a lot about this young guy. Yes. You think that it doesn't go right to anger, the jealousy? It mm. goes to frustration first. Yeah. And then frustration generally leads to anger. Yeah, they're, they're oh, also... Uh, <laughs> sound like Yoda. <laughs> Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering, right? <laughs> Something like that, right? Yep, Yoda McKenzie. Well, I always said Yoda man. So, uh, and so he goes on. Uh, and again, well, let's just let's. What does this reveal about his relationship with the father? Right? What does it say about his, his relationship with the father? It says his father said, "Look, these many years." I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. So what does this tell us about... What does this reveal about the older son's sense of what his relationship to his father is? Yeah, there is a sense of entitlement, for sure. Yeah, but... Yeah, yeah he's very good, yeah. There's a sense of... Uh, really, he's the outsider. You know, now he's kind of the outsider. Um, I can relate to the older son... And I'll give you a specific example in my own life. Uh, my This goes back probably, I think it was about 1990. And the reason why I remember that is, unfortunately, sometimes we can remember things around the timing of someone's death. And I know that my grandfather wasn't around after 1990, so it had to have been 1990 uh, when this happened. But my brother, who was, you know, just a, I don't know, rabidly alcoholic and drug abusive, at that particular time was living in his car in our driveway. He was sleeping in his car, and uh, my grandfather. Uh, in, in it was a it was an old used Volvo, and as I recall, he needed some just some water, some antifreeze in the radiator. So my grandfather asked me. He said, "Would you go fill up your brother's radiator?" I said, "No. Why would I do that? Look at the way he's living. All right. He, he he's abused the family. He's done this. He's done that." I said, you know, in so many words, he's sort of getting what he deserves. My grandfather looked at me with sort of all the compassion in the world, and he said, he's indigent. Now, that's a word we don't even hear anymore, okay? Uh, but basically meaning what? What does indigent mean? Yeah, he, he, he's incapable. Uh, his mental state is such that he can't possibly take care of himself. And I still wasn't, that still didn't do it for me, but I did say, I'll, I'll do it for you because you asked. And I think if I can remember, I was very clear to say I'm not doing it for him, my brother, right? 
or I was doing it for my for my grandfather. So I know that feeling. I know exactly how that feels. And uh, so you know that goes back 27 years. But if I had to, I could probably find something a little bit more recent. But that one really stands out in my mind. Um, and it does. And it's funny because even after the loss of my brother, I always felt like I just wish I could have been a better brother to him. Do you think that the son was resentful to the father in some ways more than the son in that he yeah. could not accept the grace that the father was showing to the son? Absolutely. And maybe thought, well, you know, you just got to play a little more hard ball with that kid, yeah. you know? Yeah, sure. He doesn't deserve what you're giving him. Yeah. I mean, he must have been enraged that his father put out that kind of grace upon his son. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's nothing that annoys the, uh, nothing annoys a Pharisee more than grace. <laughs> right? Right? Because remember, we go back. Jesus, I mean, they, he's eating with the sinners, right? Which you just don't do. I mean, the Pharisees, you don't eat with Gentiles, first of all. And you certainly don't eat with <clears throat> prostitutes and other type of sinners. You just, you're unclean. But Jesus did, because they were coming to him, right? If you go back to the beginning of, back to, the, and I think that the Pharisees were jealous of Jesus. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Now, yes, Mark. I just wonder if we find ourselves resenting the fact that God does receive sinners, mm-hmm. and yet, if you give it just a few more minutes thought, realize that He receives us the same way, and we don't like that. Mm-hmm. Indictment yes. Our own Very good. Yeah, that was. Now you're going deep. So we don't like the fact that if if God receives that sinner and He receives me also, it, the ratio is one to one. I mean, now there are, you know, without getting going down the rabbit trail of some sins worse than others because they clearly are. All sin is sin, and all sin represents a certain state of mind, and state of being. But clearly, some sins are worse than others. But every single sin needs the same reconciling event you know and yes we have to see ourselves as that and we don't like to see ourselves as that and uh, so and you know to the extent that you've experienced certain things I just sometimes wonder if it's hard for someone who's brought up and really gotten in very little trouble you know sometimes I want to say look before you commit yourself to Christ, go out on a weekend drunken bender and, <laughs> and, and commit, commit immorality and just see how foul you really are. All right? Because I know what it's like. I know what it's like to lay in my own vomit. I know what it's like to, to abuse family members. I know what it's like to be all of this stuff. I know all that stuff. I know what it took for me to be redeemed. You know what I mean? I know what that means to me. I don't think we believe the potential for evil Yeah. Yeah, very good, Todd. You blind men, which is more important, the offering of the altar of the sacrifices, hmm. uh, uh, or the altar that the sa- sacrifices the offering, hmm. Hmm. and, and the, that that context there is basically the Lord is lambasting the Pharisees for not knowing what the true hmm. meaning was yeah, sure. uh, of the temple and what true worship was, yeah. and what true value was of. God's grace compared to the law that and the self righteousness mm-hmm. they just stuck to. Yeah. And and um, um, the son doesn't see the value in the father's love for the, exactly. for the younger son. Exactly. And he doesn't see how worthless he is mm-hmm. even himself and undeserving of yes. the inheritance that he's gained. Ah, but he thinks he's that's right because he thinks he's so deserving. Yeah. Uh, Gary and then Darlene. How could a <coughs> enabler uh-huh. 
wrongly use this parable to support their enabling? Well, I think, uh, you know, I'll, I'll let anyone answer that that wants to. I, I can answer that. How, how, might this, how might somebody look at this and see this as an enablement for their sort of lifestyle? I mean, I could look at this and say, so let's say I just come into a church. Say I'm someone here. Uh, I, I don't know this gentleman, Shannon, but let's suppose for a minute. Sorry, brother. Just, just, just. just, just he's really just sort of a. He, he's really just. He, he's really. He's just. He's, he's drinking his coffee this morning because he was on a drunken bender last night. He's really hungover. He's feeling a little guilty about his sin, and uh, and he and he reads this parable and says, you know, this son went for quite a while living amongst the pigs and everything else. I'm not that bad yet, right? One of the worst things we have is the yets, right? We're all yetis. <laughs> One of the worst things we can we can get is the yets. It says, "I'm not that bad yet." Okay, I'm not. I haven't done that, but they are yets, uh, Darlene. This is very very elementary, and I apologize. Oh please, we need. <laughs> it's probably de- it's probably deeper than you think. You backing up a little bit. Yes. You said you could have sin, mm-hmm. but some sin is worse than other sin. Yes. Right. Because whatever we sin, regardless of the size of the sin, mm-hmm. it still grieves God right. in Jesus. Yes, it so does. It doesn't matter if I kill somebody or I stole the Catholic yeah. gum, mm-hmm. I still sin. Right. So isn't that going back to the Catholic Church with the mortal sins and the menial sins? And, and, but isn't so isn't sin sin regardless? Well, I, I think, you know, the... If, if my recollection serves me well, Roman Catholicism would speak of mortal sin as something that's unreconcilable. Is that correct? I don't know. Who's my Roman Catholic expert in here? Well, not an expert, but I was. Right? The mortal sin is something that takes, I, I don't know, either it's you know an extended sentence in purgatory or it's something beyond the average venial sin, which is... You know, pardonable through the grace infused by the sacraments, but and I'll get to your hands in a minute. But to answer your question directly, we see in Scripture such things as this: those that that, that there's different levels of punishment. Some will receive few stripes, some will receive many. We see Jesus at one point saying that there will be those that receive fewer stripes, those that receive many stripes. So we certainly get a sense that there's a greater consequence for some of the things we do, because even in a, even unbelievers have a moral conscience that they need to answer about. Romans 2 or 3 talks about that. So, um, if we're speaking of what is sin in the context of all sin is rebellion and violation against God. Yes, all sin is on... Sin is sin. Uh, it's, 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 it's like humankind in a sense. I mean, we're all, we're all people. This, so, there's a category, the ultimate category, okay, is, yes, that all sin is sin. But yet we see things even in the Proverbs. It talks about if a man steals bread because he's poor. I think it's Proverbs. And somebody that knows the scripture on this can help me out better. It may not be Proverbs. It may be. It's got to be wisdom literature somewhere. That if a man steals because he's poor, that's different than someone going and stealing from from a peasant and taking what belongs to the peasant just to add to his own sort of wealth. And so, yeah, there's a there is a, a greater sense of God's justice needs to be meted out in a certain way. So all sin is equally rebellious against God. There's no question about it. But we need to be able to differentiate um, s- sort of the extent and the depravity to which humankind goes. 
Why? Because I think because we're, we're created in the image of God, our moral intuitions tell us some things are far more grievous than others. And yeah, I don't know if that answers your question or not. Um, maybe it's not precise. Speak to that. I don't think in, in stating what you stated, you're not suggesting that we can put our sins on some sort of spectrum, right? That, right. But some some sins are indicators of of a depth of depravity. So yes. you know, and you can't say, well, one isn't as bad as the other. But somebody who might who might overeat, mm-hmm. you might say, okay, well, that's that's a sin. There's some, mm-hmm. some gluttony and some things that they, you know, versus somebody who is very content to be in in just a depth of sexual depravity. Right, sure. You know, and so there's... While you're not putting either one of them on a spectrum Mm -hmm. of of worse or not worse, there's some things that are indicators of of just a very, you know, a a contentment to just be in in, in the depth of that and and to just lie and cover up Mm -hmm. and everything that you have to do to kind of, you know, keep that that going. Yep. Todd and Molly. Uh, Jesus said, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body, mm-hmm. and if the eye is filled, it is filled with light, mm-hmm. everything is filled with light, mm-hmm. if it's filled with darkness, how great mm-hmm. is that darkness? Mm-hmm. There's degrees of darkness, mm-hmm. as there's degrees of greater light, Yeah, in that sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I have the ability, the, the privilege to preach the gospel to a gay friend of mine, um, to an old member of this church, by the way, she died years ago. Uh, it's her, it's her son. And uh, anyways, to make a long story short, um, I approached him from the degree of sin that all men are accountable to God, and not, not singling him out mm-hmm. as a gay man, but preaching in a general sense. On the other hand, I ended the conversation by a Romans one mm-hmm. model mm-hmm. and saying to him, I said, but the Bible does make a big effort in regards to certain sins that lead to greater darkness. And I felt responsible to describe the biblical understanding of the degree and the depravity of the place where he was at, mm-hmm. as well as witnessing the gospel from that people perspective. I think it's. Um, I think we need to have a class on here at some point as well and talk about um, the whole issue of human sexuality, mm-hmm. uh, because I have so many thoughts on this subject um, that I want to share and get feedback on. Um, everything from even you know is the Nashville statement is it appropriate should there be a Nashville sta- should there be, a, should there be a, a Nashville statement on political corruption should there be a Nashville statement on dishonesty should there be a, you know what I'm saying I, I want to have a class at some point where we talk about what it comes across to some as an overemphasis on sexuality and I want to talk about that and why should it be that way or shouldn't it be that way where is it healthy? Where is it not healthy? I want to do that at some point. So I want to hammer out the parameters at some point because these are very important topics in this day and age. Uh, yeah. Uh, two quick points. And then we'll get back to the text. First one too is far that in Catholicism, uh, the difference between mortal sin and mm-hmm. venial sin, mm-hmm. of course, besides the fact that one is supposedly greater than the other, mm-hmm. is that one leads to damnation uh, unless it's... Uh, Absolved, huh? or the, and the other one is a lesser, and is not going to hold you away. Okay. You know, you'll go to purgatory; you won't go to hell. Okay. The other cool. thing is uh, the degree of sin is already paid for by Christ for hmm. those who believe. No matter how Amen. less or how great our sin is, yes. it's already paid for by the mercy yes. and the love. 
Yes, and Rome does not make that distinction. Yeah. Rome really messes exactly. that up big time. And, and, and the other thing is, uh, that is the reason why we need to be sharing the gospel mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ so that people do understand mm-hmm. about the grace and the mercy of Christ mm-hmm. and how important it is for us, mm-hmm. uh, how important it is for them to hear the gospel. We've got to get out and we've got to give that gospel message. We have so much work to do in the unbelieving culture around us. We have so much work to do. We have so much work. Yes, Susan. In getting back to it, yes. where we were yes. with the Pharisees and the law. Yes. The law, by definition, is judgment. Mm-hmm. And the Pharisees kind of put it upon themselves to be in charge of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Jesus said to them, I desire mercy over judgment. It's like, Very good. kind of like saying, Well, yeah, it's judgment. Yeah. We already know that. Yeah. How are you going to handle that with the. Indeed. So this older son has, as was said, an external relationship. As Kelly said, an external relationship with the father. And that, that's probably as, as good a, uh, a clear as we, we can be on that. Um, and, and then he says here, when this son of yours who devoured your property with prostitutes. Now there's nothing in the text that tells us he spent money on prostitutes. None. There's nothing in this text that says that he spent money on prostitutes. So why would he say that? Again, remember, prodigals, you know, it's a waste of money. So why, why does he say this? The general. We just assumed. Well, I mean, he knows his brother. Uh-huh. I mean, you knew your brother was having areas of sin. You uh-huh. kind of know the story. Before he left and he approached his father, going to what Brother Barry had said, like, you know, are you enabling? That father mm-hmm. probably knows his son. Mm-hmm. He knew that he was going to go out and be wild. Mm-hmm. Will. Because the acts are good doesn't mean mm-hmm. his heart's not hard. That's true. Yep. Ida? I think in the way they say it, how I get it, he's judging. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's judging. Judging his father. Okay, gotcha, yep. It's mm. like telling him, you know, this is what you are doing. Mm. Like, he don't trust his decision. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think, I personally, I think, and again, there's, there's not a whole lot in the text. Uh, there's nothing, again, in the text that tells us what he did. The text does give us a lot of detail about what he did. It doesn't mention a single thing about prostitutes. And I think it's an assumption on the older brother's part because he thinks so poorly of his brother. He's just going to say as much as he can against him. Uh, but it's possible that he also, it's possible his brother also knew him, you know what I mean? He was, Every trip to the stable wasn't to get hay, you know? Yes, <laughs> Kelly. Hey, what do you mean? I was just going to throw in cultural shrine prostitutes and temple prostitutes. Mm. So that could be part of it. Yeah, maybe, yeah, the false religion. Yeah, that's true. There was a lot of that. That's possible either way. I, I think this, especially with this uh, older brother, had the brother not come down, this brother's motives and thoughts never would have been known mm. by the father or anybody else. Mm. And um, it's a sad thing. He was very obedient, but he knew not his father. Yeah. What, a grace, what a gracious father he had. Mm. And yet he comes pleading with him to come in. Yeah, exactly. And he still has an argument against it, it, This is great. This is great hope for the Pharisees. Well, this is great hope for the Pharisees. I, mean, I think we like to think of the Pharisees. Look, they're just out of luck. They're out of hope. They got nothing. No, not so. He, he Jesus reached out to the Pharisees. He wept over the fact that they wouldn't break. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the text goes, uh, not knowing about the righteousness of God, mm. they became righteous in themselves. Yeah. 
and if they only listen to the yeah what did Jesus say except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees uh, who was the fattened calf killed for What's, who, who's the rejoicing for Worship. Let us make marriage. I think it's for the Father. I think the Father, this rejoicing is for the Father. This feast, these, why do I say that? Go back to the previous two parables. They went out from the lost sheep, they carried the back sheep, the sheep back, and everyone rejoiced with, with the sheep, with the shepherd. The woman goes out with the lost coin, she finds her coin, she comes back, she calls the friend wife because she found her last coin. So they're celebrating with sort of the father on this, right? When, when someone gets genuinely saved, right? And we find out, are we celebrating God or are we celebrating the person saved? Right? Yeah, we would like to hope so, right? You know, who are the angels celebrating with? This is how I answer it. If there was more, more rejoicing in heaven over one repentant sinner than the 99, who, who are the angels rejoicing with? They're not rejoicing with the sinner. They're high-fiving up in heaven. They're all excited for God. You know, they're just... They're just, just amazed. We know that they're amazed by the gospel. Yeah. Mm. When it says, says it, I'm sorry, when it says, no, go ahead. Sorry. Mark does it not point to the forward to the marriage supper? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think it, you know to some extent it does. I think it's you know, in, but I think very precisely in the parable, the father rejoicing. This is a rejoicing for the father. This is the community rejoicing with the father. I think as much as they're glad the son is back in, they're probably not. Ready to party with the son primarily, first and foremost. You know, they're happy for the father. He's been, he's made reconciliation. He's won his son back. His son was dead, and he's, in a certain sense, the father's brought him back to life. Which means what? We got to think beyond just the individual. He's brought him back to the community. He's brought him back to God's people. That's life. We have to think beyond the individual and think of the community, brother. Uh, they, they were dancing and they had music and. Ken Kozak wants to know if this is a justification for Christians being able to dance. Yeah! No, I think... Yeah. No, I think the fact that David danced half-naked in front of the ark gives us justification to dance with our clothes on. You know what I mean? You recall David, when they came into the city, was rejoicing and, you know, doing his thing, and his wife got all disgusted and said, oh, weren't you something in front of the young ladies today? He said, shut up. Yeah. If anybody wants to see... If anybody wants to see a video clip of Pastor Gary's dance, let me know. I have it in my phone. There you go. That's right. So, we praise God for their salvation. Do we realize God's joy in the reconciliation of a sinner? Right? Do we realize that God takes such a joy in a reconciled sinner? We know, was it Micah, Zephaniah, Zechariah, somewhere, God says, I will sing over you with rejoicing. Zephaniah? I will sing over you with rejoicing. Really? You're going to sing over me with rejoicing? Take out the DVD of my life. You're going to rejoice in singing over that? Oh, yeah, I am. When I had the opportunity to baptize my own son, Mm -hmm. I was filled with such joy. Yes. And uh, it was such a great, great feeling for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was great for him. But it was, you know, I was rejoicing in that. And I know I can identify with... The Father rejoicing mm-hmm. over his lost son, and Christ, mm-hmm. our God, and the Father rejoicing <coughs> over mm-hmm. his child, where it says, Let us make man in our image. Yep. Uh, 
he's rejoicing over that son mm. that daughter mm -hmm. that he has that is restored and come on mm -hmm. to him yeah we're so happy for the father hey, you ever go deep sea fishing when you go deep sea fishing at the end of the day the person with the biggest catch gets all the cash prize so when they get on the boat everyone gets five bucks ten bucks and whoever gets the biggest fish at the end of the day well who does everybody go up and celebrate with they don't shake hands with the fish right <laughs> they're, they're celebrating with the guy that got the biggest catch same way with a parent with a wayward child. You know, you got a child that's wayward and the child comes home. And, and, and who are people celebrating with? They're celebrating for you. They're so happy for you. Right? I mean, yeah, they're happy for the kid too. It's great. But they're so happy for you. Yeah. I think at the point of salvation, which I think this represents, the one being saved cannot comprehend what has happened. Mm. So well, I, yep. The joy is, it might be a, a, a feeling of elation. But it's it, God fully understands Amen. what has happened. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's hard to think because once again, we do want to think of God as sort of altogether different from us, which He is. But we have to remember also we're created in the image of God. There are things about us that are very much like God. We have a lot in common with God. We have a lot not in common with God. We have a lot in common with the Creator of the entire universe and cosmos, and the One that is sovereign over things we can hardly see with a microscope right and so uh, I, I think that we have to remember that God in a sense then I don't know how and I, I, the theological debates I mentioned this last week go on and on about what does God feel and does God really feel anything and if I do something that makes God happy then that means God wasn't happy therefore that constitutes a change in God wrought by something that I did in me therefore God's not really sovereign he's kind of dependent on me for his emotional well-being I, I, I don't go there. The Scripture says certain things. Very plainly. And it doesn't just say them in a way that just we can understand. Right? To me, that's like saying... you know. So, God says things to us that I do understand God condescends to speak to us in ways that we understand. But to conclude from that that God is not really like this. He's just saying that this is, this is just so that we can understand. So we can understand what then? So we can understand what? God is like this. Um, you see the father call him son. He entreats him as son. All that I have is yours. How, how can you not see that? Again, like with the Pharisees, all that I have is yours. You receive the, or the oracles of God. Why did Paul long for the Israelites so much? Oh man, I so long for my brothers according to the flesh. You know, theirs are the promises, the covenants. They got everything and they've got nothing. Because I'm son. And so... He's basically saying, you know, you've misunderstood our relationship. No, basically, Jesus wants the Pharisees to know not only does he eat with sinners, but he's thrilled to do it. He's excited to do it. Yes. I just want to ask you a quick question. Do you think that perhaps the older son was had similar thoughts? Uh, he would have liked to have gone out on his own. He Maybe. Liked, but he stayed back. Maybe. And he's jealous also yep. because of... Quite possibly. He, he stayed. He wanted to go. He stayed. Yeah. He was faithful. And, and I guess you yeah. understand the concept. Here. Yes, I do. Sure. Absolutely. Same. Boy, I, you know, I wanted to do all that stuff and didn't. You know, I could have done all that. Like, yeah. he did God a favor. Like, he did his father. Yeah, yeah. Look, I could have been out there being a philanderer and all this and that. But I didn't. No, I stayed here with you. You owe me! You know? It's like... That's where our head can get at. We've got to make sure our head's not there, too. Um, yeah. So, what we don't see at the end of this... Um, I want to wrap this up today, so I'm going to, I'm going to 
get what I'm getting to here. Um, what we don't see here is sort of what happens with the older son. Right? What sort of becomes of him? What does he, how does he respond? He said, son, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And if we don't know what happens with the older brother. Right. It's just sort of left there. And I think that's deliberate because the Pharisees, we don't know what's going to happen with these Pharisees yet. It's, it's Jesus' way of saying, okay, ball's in your court. I just returned to serve. Right? But I'm curious as to what the ending would be like, so I took it upon myself to ask two of our sisters to write different endings for this parable. I asked Susan if she would write an ending uh, with the Pharisee elder son, remaining a Pharisee elder son. <coughs> And I asked Sandy if she would take the other approach, the one that, you know, the son sort of, he softens. Okay? And so this is, I'm going to, unless you would like to individually come up and read them, I'll read them. For, okay. Just wanted to give you that shot. So, so this is the, so this is the, uh, so this is, this is the first of the two endings, and it goes like this. The older brother thought to himself, I have always been a good son. My father should be worshiping the ground I walk on when you consider what that son of his did. My father may play the fool, but I cannot have my good name smeared hosting this, quote, festival. Thinking that he would teach his father a lesson, he stood his ground in refusing to enter the celebration, knowing that his absence would be noticed and his righteousness be approved by the Pharisees. I like that a lot. That really captures, I think, the essence of the Pharisee mind, the sense of uh, moral superiority, the sort of high and mightiness of it all of the Pharisees, uh, the sense of man, I've, I've kept every thing of this. You know, it's like the young Lord. I've kept all these since my childhood. You know, Jesus said one thing you lack. So that's one of them. And and then here's Sandy gives some um, some background before she gets directly to hers. And I want to include this uh, because I've got some additional material on it that. I wasn't sure whether to include it or not, but then when she uh, wrote what she wrote, I said, yeah, I'm going to include this other stuff. So let me get my... Let me get my little tablet here to auto-rotate. Thank you. The Bible uses brothers in their relationships often to show us what is the heart of an issue. Excellent point. Right? Cain and Abel and Esau and Jacob are two examples. Cain was jealous of Abel and he killed his brother. Esau was deceived by Jacob, but in time forgave him for tricking him. In the parable, the older son is angry and confused about the reaction of the father towards the younger son. Rightfully so, considering the culture of the times. Does the older son remain angry and become bitter and hateful towards his brother like Cain? Or does he in time forgive and forget like Esau? Yes, the older son is irritated with what the younger son has done and the reaction of the father, but does he take to heart what the father tells him at the end? He's commended for being faithful and told he will get everything. Does he forgive his brother because his father forgives? Does he see that being steady, reliable, and faithful to his father will bring a great reward in the end? Good question. Being optimistic, I will reason that the older son, knowing the goodness and compassion of the father, will respect the father's position regarding his brother. Just as God's grace changed the heart of Esau to forgive what Jacob had done, he can transform the heart of the older brother. So two possible endings to the story which we don't get, right? Thank you very much, ladies, for those. Um, that would be great to get somebody else's input on, on 
on sort of what's going on here. And it led me to, the thought that Sandy said about Jacob led me to share with you, uh, I've mentioned a number of times uh, this one particular commentator who lived in the Middle East for about 50 years and familiarized himself with all the ancient Arabic texts of the New Testament, the ones written in Arabic from the culture closest to what was going on and how he immersed himself in that culture for 50 years. Um, And he points out a couple of things. He says, uh, if you read, he says, he's deeply convinced that Jesus is retelling the story of Jacob from the point where Jacob gets his inheritance in the time that he dies, which is between uh, Genesis chapter 27, verse 1, and through the opening verses of verse uh, chapter 36. Okay, He says, if you read and compare the two stories, right, you'll observe that both stories have a patriarch, in both stories there are two sons, in both stories the youngest son decides he wants to take his inheritance, and he does so in a, in a foreign country by underhanded means. Okay, obviously... Uh, one was with Laban he, he, he sort of cheated it was his father-in-law but he cheated him out of in a sense what was his anyway but in both stories the younger has the younger son has got to take off into a far country in both stories the older son stays at home mad in both stories in the far country there's a reversal of wealth Jacob starts off poor and ends up rich the prodigal starts off rich and ends up poor the same dramatic theme is here only Jesus reversed it okay um he says, okay, so two boys come back from the far country, Jacob and the prodigal. There's a divine incarnation scene in both. In the story of Jacob, it's an angel. In the story of the prodigal, it's his father. And in both cases, in the divine incarnation scene, there's bodily contact. One is wrestling, one is an embrace. It's very interesting that he sees this. Uh, in both stories, a member of the family goes out of town to, quote, deal with the son who comes home. Right? Because in the one case... Uh, it's the father, in the other case, it's the older brother. In both cases, the welcomer of the prodigal coming home says he ran and fell upon his neck and kissed him. And those three phrases together occur only twice in Scripture. In both stories, there is the best robe of one member of the family put on another member. And nowhere in Scripture do you have this referred to except in the story of Jacob and the story of the prodigal. In Jacob, it's stolen for deception. But the prodigal is given for reconciliation. He says, and you go on and on and on. And he says, in fact, I have found... 52 of these things. And he actually wrote a whole book about it called Jacob and the Prodigal. Which I bet makes for a fascinating read. And this is what he says. He says, what is Jesus doing? He's retelling the foundational story that gave the community its name and its identity. He says, this is extremely sophisticated. We're dealing with a first class mind who notices the connections and reforms the story. He says, and we look at Jesus not as a simple little man who tells simple little stories for simple people but as a first-class theologian in the rabbinic style, talking in a very profound theological ways as he takes the story that forms the identity of the community and retells it. What an excellent point. And it's amazing that he would see that. And so, I don't know, that might be a book you're interested in reading. I'm, I might pick it up and read it at some point. Jacob and the <coughs> Prodigal. How, as I've mentioned before, I, I ponder how Jesus forms his parables. And obviously they have to be steeped in Old Testament theology. They have to be steeped in the community with which he's in. So he has to fully understand things. And why not take something as defining as Jacob, who gets renamed Israel, or Israel who gets renamed Jacob, right? No, vice versa. Jacob gets renamed Israel. Why not take that story and turn it into one of the most powerful parables in all of Scripture that teaches us about the amazing grace and love of God that transforms even Pharisees Right? <coughs> to, to, to believers. 
and the transforming grace of God that we see in Jesus. Jesus eating with... What was the result of Jesus eating with sinners? Other sinners came to him. <coughs> How simple is that? This great miracle worker, this man that was showing amazing love and compassion to so many people, and surely people heard things. As we go through Scripture, they must have heard about, hey, that's Jesus. He's the one that... I heard about he was having supper over at the Pharisees last night afterwards and there was some woman wiping her his feet with her tears or something. I heard he didn't even throw her out. Really? You know, that they couldn't even approach the religious authorities of the day. They had no access to God in a sense because the temple, which was where God was at, the Pharisees had control of the temple. I mean, the Pharisees had these rigid, rigid things. My God, it was so hard to approach God. The temple, which was supposed to be the presence of God, became the place of the greatest separation from God. The thing that God gave so that His, his presence could be known became the main thing by which nobody could know His presence. And that's horrible. Why? Because they don't see that it's grace. And we have to remember this in our testimony to people. We have this has to be at the heart and the core of our life and our testimony to other people. Is grace. And this comes down to every little thing in our lives, including, you know, I think about my own life, arguments or stresses, fractures in a relationship I have with some people very close to me. You know, how do I how do I show grace in this situation? How do I how do I confront sin to a, you know, at least one that's a professing believer? How do I confront that and deal with that mm. significant issue? You know, how does grace sort of handle that? You know, all these things, that grace in our life every single day, what it's going to take to convert such and such a person. We worry about our own kids. And there's a sense, I think, in, if we're honest, for a lot of us parents, for example, we might think in our mind, oh man, I wonder if they're ever going to come around. Or I wonder if my husband's ever going to come around. Grace answers the question absolutely and without without uh, we depend upon the grace of God that's all we have what the, don't know if they come around or not but we know that if they do it's going to be by one way and that's the grace of God it's the only way anyone is ever going to be reconciled to the Father by his own grace Wally. Yeah, in Matthew 6 14 and 15 uh, it alludes to the fact that if we are not going to forgive others, mm-hmm. we cannot expect God to forgive us. Mm-hmm. We need to display grace, and I think that that's what you're saying. Mm-hmm. We need to display grace and forgiveness to others, mm-hmm. and if we expect God to forgive us, of our yeah, that's another verse we could spend a lot of time on, because at the same time we want to make sure we don't turn that into a work where, well, you're not going to forgive others, therefore I won't forgive you. But it takes the grace of God for me to forgive others, right? also causes us to think yes absolutely about what our responsibility to each other yes. is yeah exactly I, can't, I don't think we can say that we you know we're forgiven if we don't forgive others how can you make that claim that you're forgiven it's it's, it's oxymoronic right. or it's just plain moronic <laughs> right you just say that I, if you can't forgive someone and now maybe you're in a place where you find yourself I want to forgive this person I, I just right now it's so the offense is so great the hurt is so bad I don't even know if I could if I could get myself in a state of mind that if they showed up asking forgiveness. But there's something that happens in the grace of God when someone asks forgiveness. The, God uses the person's humility to transform the person that needs to give forgiveness. Doesn't it? Did you ever think about that? Oh, it's a whole other subject. But someone comes to you broken and, and uh, really sincere about the hurt that they've caused. Doesn't that change the person offended? It does. 
or it should if the person is in Christ and Christ is in the person and I recognize there are all sorts of you know there's almost an infinity of places between A and B there where offenses have happened and, and horrible things are ongoing and, and uh, so I think we can all relate to those things alright so we're all done I'm going to ask brother Mike Leo to pray for us and then I'm going to ask Christy to pray for us after that too yeah <laughs> restoration of us, Lord God, and, and how time after time, Lord God, when we when we make a selfish choice and go down that road of, of selfishness, that, that you're so quick to to bring us back, Lord God. Lord, I pray for for family members and friends that we might have right now, Lord God, who are who are that that younger son right now, li- living lives that that are just riotous, Lord God, and far far from you. Mm-hmm. Lord, I pray for those for those sons and those daughters and those friends right now, in Jesus' name, Lord God, that that you would give peace mm-hmm. to moms and dads and and friends, Lord God, in this room, and mm-hmm. and that you would give hope uh, for their for their return. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, I, I ask in, that you would continue to bless our body, mm. help us to be a, a mouthpiece where we express grace and express it well. Train us in our mind, help us to be quickly wooed and given over to studying more mm. of your word that we can better articulate your, your grace. Mm. Uh, so often I feel like I don't open my mouth because I can't say it right. But, but how beautiful was just the embrace that you mm. show when you're, when you're looking and you're running mm. toward the prodigal Amen. son. And, Father, let our love be that tangible to the hurting. Let us, Father, be able to, to reflect your glory and your grace. If, if we could be just a bit more like you, Lord, transform us and change mm-hmm. us. And we praise you that you do that work in your people. And uh, bless the rest of our fellowship t- today and the music and the worship that we continue. Unite us as a people, Father, that we might love one another mm-hmm. in, in word and in deed. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pat. Thank you. So we got two more weeks of something, and then I just thought September twenty fourth special treat. We got Brother Jonathan going to be covering one of the parables as well. So uh, bringing his art and craft, stealing the word. We'll advertise that heavily. <laughs>